Good morning. It is good to be with you. It is good for us to be together. We'll open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We're reading from that text in just a moment as we get into our lesson. Our Lord Jesus Christ built his church. And he built it just as he had promised. It is the spiritual edifice of God's adopted children in whom he dwells. And this spiritual body of Christ is composed of all believers who are saved by the washing of water with the word. And these saved ones in Christ are the firstborn in the Lord who are enrolled in heaven. Now, Jesus himself, the Lord, is the one who laid the foundation of his church through his chosen apostles and his chosen prophets as they preached his gospel. But Jesus is the living cornerstone. They laid the foundation, but Jesus is the cornerstone of his church. He is the cornerstone of his temple, and the members of that church and the members of that body of Christ are also living stones in God's temple, in God's sanctuary where he dwells with his people. Therefore, Christians are called. We are added to this body, to this church of the saved For the Lord's work, for the business of spiritual construction. So this morning we continue that study, that theme that we've talked about previously as well. As we build on some further points and applications. The living stones in Christ are called to be builders. Building up the Lord's one church. Are you? Are you building? Are you building what the Savior redeemed you to be building? Are we busy building what the Lord purchased us to be building? It is with those thoughts we now turn our our minds and our hearts to our text this morning of 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, as we begin our reading at verse 6, where Paul, the apostle and writer of these inspired words from God by the direction of the Holy Spirit, says, I planted and Apollos watered, but God was causing the growth. So then neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything but God who causes the growth. Now, he who plants and he who waters are one, but each will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. According to the grace of God was given to me, like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation, and another is building 
on it. But each man must be careful how he builds on it. For no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. As we talk some more about this idea of building on the church that Jesus built, the first point I want to stress this morning is this, that spiritual construction requires workers. If you're going to build something, you're going to need laborers to do that project. Here in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, the Holy Spirit reminds us through the, the penmanship of the apostle that the church is God's field. The church is God's building. Now, we're not talking about a physical field, and we're not talking about a physical building. We're talking about the people of God who are his adopted children, who is his spiritual edifice, who is the body of Christ. And he says, they are God's field. They are God's building. You think of the idea of a field, and you think about the idea of a building. What do you need? Well, you need workers. You need laborers in that field. You need laborers at the construction site. In Luke chapter 10, in verse 2, it is during the ministry of Jesus Christ, and is actually at the occasion when he is sending out the 70 on that limited commission. He's sending them out, and they have been commissioned to proclaim the kingdom of Christ. It is near, and therefore repent. As he instructs them in regard to that mission, he tells those those that he's chosen. So you've got these 70 men whom he's sending out in pairs, and he tells them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of harvest that he will send laborers into that harvest. That same kind of planting and that same kind of watering are still required today. God's field is still in existence. God's building is still in existence. And so you still need laborers. And we need to be praying to God for laborers. And we need to see that we have a part in the field and in the building as laborers of Christ. It is a required ongoing work. As long as time continues... God will always need laborers in his field. He will always need builders in his construction. And so this morning we're going to focus on that idea of how God needs workers and therefore you are his workers. Healthy growth occurs when? Well, based upon the New Testament pattern and the revelation of God's word, healthy growth of the body of Christ occurs with the labors, with the work of fellow workers in the gospel. When Christians work together in the cause of Christ, in the spread of the gospel, there was growth. There was immense growth when that was going on. It is for that reason 
that Paul, for example, over in 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy in chapter 2, verse 2, that he, he, that is Paul, admonishes the young man Timothy and says, the things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these. So take those words that I have preached to you, that I have taught you, take those same words, and he says, and you entrust those words to faithful men. Is that where he stops? No. He didn't say just entrust them and then just leave them hanging. No, you entrust this message, you entrust these words of God for what reason? Who will be able to teach others also. God's spiritual construction, the church that Jesus built, where he is the living cornerstone and the apostles and prophets of Christ are the foundation, that construction is still ongoing. It is still a construction site. It's not finished. And it won't be finished until the Lord comes back. And as long as time continues, God needs laborers. God needs workers. And we as Christians are his workers. And we volunteered for it. We volunteered to be his workers. No sowing means what? No sowing means no growing. And so we've got to understand the idea of there's got to be planting and watering, planting and watering, planting and watering. It's an ongoing thing. But there is caution, there is care, there is concern definitely that expressed in the New Testament about the sowing that is done. That each brother, each member of the body of Christ needs to be careful how he or she is building on Christ's foundation because his labors will be judged. Another cross-reference you can refer to is over in James 3. James, the brother of Jesus, likewise brings up the gravity of what it needs to be take place. And he says, let not many become teachers, my brethren, knowing that as such we will incur a stricter judgment. And so that means, okay, well, I don't have to be a laborer. Yeah. Well, no, that's not the point. The point is there needs to be great you know, caution and concern and serious approach when we think about the idea of teaching the gospel, not just from the pulpit, not just in a Bible class, but when you are on the street talking to a neighbor or talking to a person you meet in the store, know that there is responsibility and accountability for that. That's why if you go back to our text this morning in 1 Corinthians, Paul says this, According to the grace of God which was given to me, like a master builder, I laid a foundation. He's talking about the foundation he laid in Corinth. I laid this foundation, and he said, another is building on it. Remember, Apollos comes later, and then after Apollos, there's others. You know, so get okay, all of this work being done. And so the building is ongoing, but he says, but each man, each laborer, each worker must be careful how he builds on it. You know, any contractor, any, any person who runs 
a construction business and he has employees, just ask Shane, he's concerned about how they do their job. And so the same is for us as well. God needs workers and you are the workers that he needs. But he says, be careful. Be careful how you build. You can't just build anything you want to build. Because if any man destroys the temple, back in 1 Corinthians 3 again, if you destroy it, you, if you become a detriment to the cause of Christ, God will destroy that one because he's accountable for that. So our choices and our words and our conduct affect others. It affects the church that Jesus has built. But another point you need to think about is this, and that is building cost needs to be counted. Building cost, just ask, ask the, the Zonkas here about building costs. Or anyone today trying to accomplish something, the costs that keep going up, 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 up. And so you've got to count the cost. But we're not talking about physical construction here. And so the thing is, we need to be, count the cost, yes, because you need to be willing and you need to be ready to invest in this construction. Be aware that there is cost to building. And we know that on a physical level. We understand that when it, when it impacts our pocketbook, we don't like it, especially if it impacts it a lot more than we intended But Jesus uses the same principle to teach us of graver and more important issues when he talks about his work, his mission. And so back in Luke chapter 14, Luke 14, Jesus talked about and taught about the cost of discipleship. And those who are disciples of Jesus are members of his body. But you go back and read there in the 14th chapter, beginning in verse 26. Listen to what Jesus says. Follow along in your Bible. He says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. We don't like the wording Jesus uses here. It makes us uncomfortable, doesn't it? It really does. It's going to cost you. And we need to understand there is cost in being a true disciple of Jesus. He has to be first and foremost in every aspect of your life. In verse 27, whoever does not carry his own cross to come after me cannot be my disciple. And so Jesus talked about the cost of disciple. It is going to cost you to become a Christian. And it will cost you to be and live the Christian life. It's interesting when he kind of lays that principle down and then he illustrates it with construction terminology. Because in verse 28 he then says, For which one of you... When he wants to build a tower, does not first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it. That's exactly what the Zonkas did. (laughs) Before they started all of this, they sat down and they evaluated everything. We do that 
physically. Jesus says, we need to do that spiritually. We need to understand there are costs to being a Christian. And we need to be willing to make the investment. He goes on to say, otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who observe it begin to ridicule him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. The costs are worth the investment, though. It's going to cost us, but it's worth it because of the value gained. It may take us a while. It's a... It's a It's not a sprint, it's a marathon, but it's worth the investment, it's worth the cost. What did it cost Jesus? What did it cost your Savior Jesus to purchase and to build his assembly of redeemed souls? What did it cost him? Yes, you know, it cost him his life. So that you and I can taste of the goodness of his mercy and his grace and we can be adopted into the family of God and added as living stones into this spiritual temple of God that will never be destroyed. Unlike the temple of Jerusalem that Jesus said would be destroyed after his life. You are important to him. It cost him his life, but he says, but you're worth it. You are important to him. So, yes, understand the extreme cost of building Christ's church. Not just for us personally and since following Jesus, but also the ongoing work. There's going to be cost involved. Understand those costs, but also understand this. You are able. You are able to invest whatever it costs you. You're able to do this. You can do this because it is God who brings the increase. Whether you're talking about your time or your abilities, or whether you're talking about your finances, yourself. And And it includes all of that. Yes, there's investments in following Jesus. There's investments in building on the foundation of Christ and building on what Jesus built. There is investment and cost to that. But ultimately, it is God who supplies the increase. It is God who brings the growth. Listen to what Paul later writes in his second epistle, his second letter, when he rewrites the church again at Corinth. There in chapter 9, it actually is in the context of the cost you know, that, they, uh, that they're having to invest involving taking care of you know, some needy Christians. He says, now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food. Who does that? Who supplies the seed for the farmer? Who supplies the bread for food? Ultimately, it's God. God is the supplier here. Now, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will 
Listen, will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in everything for all liberality, which through us is producing thanksgiving to God. You are able to do this. You're able to invest into the, instruct, the construction of the Lord's body. And I'm not talking simply about money and physical buildings. I'm talking about you. Investing yourself in the mission of Christ. Get busy. Get busy doing what you're redeemed to do. Get busy doing what we're called to build. Now the primary work though, the primary work of the Lord's church is upholding the truth. You see that clearly over in 1 Timothy chapter 3 verse 15, a very familiar text, where it says there... I write so that you will know how one ought to conduct himself. So our conduct does matter. Our behavior, our activities, they do matter. He says, I'm writing so you will know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and support of truth. Truth and upholding that truth is the primary work of the Lord's construction. The spiritual work that we're called to do. And that should not surprise us. When you think about who Jesus is, Jesus is the fullness of truth. John 1, you know, the word became flesh, dwelt among us, we held as the only begotten of the Father, who was full of grace and truth. Grace and truth came to be because of Jesus Christ. Before he laid down his life to atone for the sins of the world, Jesus told his apostles that He's going to petition his father to send the comfort of the helper, the spirit of truth. And what will he do? He will guide you into all truth. So it shouldn't surprise us that the body of Christ, the temple of Christ, the church of Christ, is work is all about truth. Because that's what Jesus was all about. And so his body of called ones, his body of redeemed ones, was built by and on truth. And thus she is to be the bulwark of truth. You remember what Jesus says in John 8. He's teaching there to an audience that we're told who believed. They were believers. They were Jews who were believers. And he tells them basically to what extent that faith needs to move them. To what extent that faith needs to lead them. And he tells them that if you, you know, all those who desire to be my disciple must abide in my teaching. And they shall know the truth and the truth shall set them free. Continuance in the word of truth. Christ's truth is how we become Christians and how we grow as Christians, as disciples of Jesus Christ. And so this ongoing work. A building must be according to the truth as our head, Jesus Christ, has spoken. But we need to be cautious. We need to be alert because teaching and traditions that are not according to that truth, but rather according to man's opinions and man's desires, those things lead people and even lead Christians Away from the truth. 
It's interesting to think about some of the closing words, the last closing words of the Apostle Paul, and one of the thoughts that is kind of at the forefront of his mind and his heart, and he's being guided by the Holy Spirit to write his last letter, not only his last letter to Timothy, but his last letter. And he says, time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires, and what? And will turn away their ears from the truth. And we'll turn aside to myths. We need to be alert. We need to be careful of what we, we are building. And we need to be careful that we're not following according to men's teachings and men's traditions. But each living stone, each one, each living stone is expected to do his part of building on what Jesus has built. In Ephesians chapter 4, in Ephesians chapter 4, there in verse 15 and 16, the Apostle Paul to the church at Ephesus says this to them about the business of building and growing. I'm going to start in verse 14. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness in deceitful scheming. But, speaking truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, Christ from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part causes growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. The Lord's church is to be focused on building. The Lord's church needs to be focused on growing. It's made up of individual components, individual members, but each member has a part. Each member is accountable. Each member is to be contributing to this call of building the spiritual construction of the Lord's church, body, temple, people. And unity, unity plays a major component in that. It's interesting to think about the admonition and exhortation at the end of this paragraph, 14 through 16, follows what it says previously. Union of the Spirit among the membership is what promotes the kind of growth and measure to attain the fullness of Christ. So what kind of work is that? What proper working supplies united spiritual growth, united spiritual construction of the church of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? Well, the first point is very simple, this. It's attitudes that unite. In verse 1, Paul says, I, the person of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. What do you mean by that, Paul? What kind of manner does that involve? What What kind of walk is worthy? And he describes it to us in verse 2 and 3. He says, with all humility and gentleness... With patience, 
with uh, forbearance with one another in love, being diligent, preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Each living stone, each member of the body of Christ is accountable to contribute to the construction of the body of Christ, to the to the growth of his church. How do I do that? Well, it begins with my own attitudes, my, the own condition of my heart. Every member, every member, whether young or not so young, but every member must and can cultivate these attributes. We are not being told here something that you cannot do. We all must be humble Gentle, patient, forbearing in love, diligent to observe the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Personal growth is what contributes to congregational growth. And it starts with each one of our attitudes toward each other. But that's not all. Because you continue reading here in this text and you find that then not only you have attitudes that unite, but also you've got some facts that unite. In verse 4 through 6, therefore, he says, there is one body, one spirit, just as also you were called to one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. These facts, these, these statements that he makes are absolute. You know, there's no room, there's no room for, you know, us adding our opinion about it. There's one Lord, one. There's one Spirit, one. There's one God and Father, one. And just as they are one, he says there's also one faith, one baptism, one body. We need to know what that is. We need to know what the one faith is. We need to know what the one baptism is. We need to know what the one body is. We need to know that because If we're going to uphold unity to bring about the proper growth and construction to the body of Christ and the church of our Lord and Savior, I need to understand these facts that unite those who are members of Jesus Christ. But then thirdly and finally, there's gifts from Christ for unity. In verse 7, each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. There he says, when he ascended on high and led captive, a host of captives, he gave gifts to men. Now this expression, he ascended, what does it mean? Except that he also descended into the lower parts of the earth. He who descended is himself also he who ascended far above all the heaven so that he might fill all things. And he, Who's the he? The one who descended and then ascended, Jesus Christ. Then he, Christ Jesus, gave some as apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors or shepherds and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Christ gave gifts, and we're told what gifts he's talking about here. He gave us apostles and prophets. 
He gave us evangelists. He gave us pastors. He gave us teachers. Those are gifts from Christ. And each one of those gifts vary you know, from their roles. But also there's something that unites them. There's something that binds them together and, and basically shows unity. And that is they are all ministers of the word of Christ. In one way or another, all of those minister and serve to the work of the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is the power of God unto salvation to all those who believe it. But what are these ministers for? You know, we are, we are building on the work of the apostles and prophets. You know, the apostles in the New Testament and the prophets in the New Testament, they're still ours. We don't need any more apostles. We don't need any more prophets. We have the ones we need. Jesus gave us those. Now, the work is ongoing, so you still need proclaimers of good news. You still need teachers of the good news. You need, still need shepherds of that good news. But what, what, are they, what, what are they doing? These ministers of the word. He says they're there to equip. They're there to equip saints for what? To work. They're there for us to be equipped to do the work that we've been called to do. And that is for the work of service to the building up of the body in Christ. What's interesting is, is this concept, servants that serve and empower more servants so they can keep on serving to empower other servants and more servants down throughout time. Gifts from Christ for unity so that we can do the work that we've been called to do. When we answer our Lord's call to be saved, when we answer that call, we are also joining the spiritual workforce of Christ's church. You ever thought about that? When we call upon the name of the Lord in obedience to the gospel of Christ to receive the blessedness and the blessings in Christ, all spiritual blessings, including forgiveness of our sins, when we answer that call, we are also answering another call, and that is to join Christ's workforce. Believe the truth, obey the truth, and then be busy upholding that truth. It is the gospel truth that teaches us what a sinner must do to be saved. To be cleansed of their sins and added to this body of believers and saved souls. And that gospel truth instructs believers that they must repent of their sins and be baptized by immersion in water to wash away those sins. That's the truth. And men's traditions and men's other teachings, they say something different than what the New Testament says, is not building on the foundation of Christ. If you are a believer, but you've not rendered obedience to Christ, you've not been buried with Him in baptism, we want to urge you and call you to make that decision today. Call upon the name of the Lord in obedience to Him, and He will cleanse you. And you'll be raised to walk in newness of life. Whatever your spiritual need may be, we invite your courage. Please come now, or stand and sing the song to the selection.